You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I'm, I'm Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.com, and of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. So, just back from the East Coast, uh, we talked about a drop in the last show at the beginning. Um, so, I had a grandson last week. Thank you, Hashem. And his circumcision was yesterday morning. And as the grandfather, um, I don't want to say the oldest person there, but other people have had their turn, um, I actually held the baby by the circumcision. Um, as long as you're not too nervous about blood, it's a beautiful honor to hold the baby. If you ever get the chance, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and actually, the baby is named after a very famous Detroiter. He has the same name as that famous Detroiter. There was a a rabbi, really in the 50s already. His name was Rabbi Solomon Gruskin. He was also famous. Um, he was a chaplain in the Detroit metro area. Again, I don't know how far he went. By the time I moved to town, he was still here, but already he wasn't well, and uh, he moved to New York. And where he passed away about 18 years ago. So this boy actually has the same name. It was Solomon Griskin. That's actually his name. So it's really very beautiful. The um, the my mechutin, uh, Rabbi Griskin, my son-in-law's father. He said over a beautiful story. Um, I think it must have been the Humphrey Street Shul. That seems to be the only place that makes sense. He was. I don't know if he was the actual rabbi. He was one of the rabbis there. I'm getting conflicting uh, versions. Very big congregation, at least on the high holidays. And there was a there was a granddaughter that um, that knew him. Must have uh, he must have been involved in the family, helped the family, and the mother. This girl's mother or grandmother, I'm sorry, was diabetic. And it seems that I guess you have to take certain diabetic medicine. It's dangerous to fast. Again, I don't know all the the rules with diabetics, but it seems that she was on a certain, on certain insulin that she must eat. Otherwise, it'd be dangerous to take the insulin on an empty stomach. So the daughter says to the mother, you're taking this insulin. You must eat. The mother says, it's the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. I'm not eating. The mother daughter says, or granddaughter says, you have to eat. It's dangerous. The grandmother says, I'm not eating. So the daughter walks to synagogue. It's on Yom Kippur. And she sends a message, if someone could call this Rabbi Gruskin, this Solomon Gruskin, that uh, life and death. So Rabbi Gruskin comes out to her, and he says, what's the matter? He says, well, my mother is diabetic, and she, um, she's taking her insulin, and she's refusing to, um, she's refusing to, to eat. I, I, I don't know what to do. So Griskin says, let's go. So he said, let's go where? Well, let's go speak to your grandmother. No, no, you're not speaking to your grandmother. Just 
give me a message that I can give over to my grandmother and I'm sure she'll listen to you. He says, nope, I'm coming. So the granddaughter escorts this Ray Griskin to her home and the granddaughter comes in and says, Grandma, Rabbi Griskin's here. She says, what? Hey, Griskin, hi, Yom Kippur, you can't be here today. You're supposed to be in shul praying. He says, your granddaughter says, you're not eating. And it's Yom Kippur, and you have to eat on Yom Kippur because you took insulin. It's dangerous. It's life-threatening. God does not want you to fast when it's a life-and-death situation. You have to eat. So she says, okay, Rabbi Griskin, you could go back and I'll eat. He says, nope. So what do you mean, no? When you eat, after I see you eat, then I'll go back. But Rabbi, it's, this is, you're supposed to be sitting up front. You're supposed to be making sure everything goes properly during the services. You, you can't hang out with me. He says, this is what I'm doing today. Until you eat, I'm not leaving. And she ate, and then he went back to the prayers. So that's the person that my grandson was named after, and we hope that he, that this grandson, and of course all our grandchildren and granddaughters, grow up to be great special people. This was a great and special person, and I'm glad that my grandson is honored to be named after this special person. In any case, um, and as I think we mentioned, in the last show that uh, I had an extra day, my principal gave me an extra day, so I sort of used it as an in-service, checked out different classes, um, their modality of teaching. It's interesting. You know, they did some really interesting things. A lot of things they did I would not do. Um, but there's different styles. Everyone has to use a style that works for him. Um, certainly my style may be a little bit more old-fashioned. They were very into prizes and rewards. Um but, you know, as long as it works, as long as children are learning, it's a beautiful thing. And I appreciate that they gave me the time just to see what they do. One of them roped me in and got me to tell a story, give a lesson. So we did that for them. But uh, overall, it was really a great um, trip into the East Coast. And, of course, I'm glad to be back home. But before we go into the show, to all my dedicated listeners, you know, uh, I can't do this without you. And I do need your help. So to help the show spread, please go to my homepage, hit that donate button, leave a name. You want a shout out, a memory of, a happy birthday in advance, I do thank you. So similar to what I did in the last show, I'd like to do it here again. I think it will help us get a good feeling for what's happening in this week's Torah portion. So I'm going to give you the overall story, and then I would like to... To, um, to break it apart. But first, let's get the overall story, and then let's see what happens. Jacob shows up in Israel. Last time he left, which was 20 years, give a couple more months, um, last time he left, he had gotten the blessings from his father Isaac. His brother Esau, Jacob's brother Esau, was fuming because all the good all the honor he'd given to his father all those years was just to get the blessings. And here, Jacob sneaks in after all of Esau's hard work, and Jacob gets the blessings. So we said that Jacob, that Esau, as far as he was concerned, Jacob was a, Jacob was a dead man, 
and uh, Ace was going to kill him. Rebecca understood what her son was planning. She tells Isaac, we got to get Jacob out of town. She tells Isaac for a different reason. He's got to get married to somebody from my family. And Jacob was sent away. So now Jacob's coming back. And he sends messengers to Asa of, hey, bro, I am back in town. But not just a mess, I'm back in town. He sends him presents. He sends him livestock and slaves. Some say he sent jewelry, cows and sheep and goats and camels and donkeys with a calculation of how many of each. And he sent multiple groups so um, it would look bigger. And these groups came and they, uh, they, um, there's a different uh, Midrashim. Medrash says it was really angels that went and they started beating up Esau and the, I guess the soldiers that were with Esau because when Esau hears that Jacob's in town, he gets together his army as 400 soldiers or 400 generals, again, debatable. And... And they, these angels start beating up uh, Asaph, and I guess these soldiers understood that these were angels. They said, hey, come on. This is a grandson of Abraham. Uh, beat him up. He's the son of Isaac. Hit him. He's the brother of Jacob. Oh, the brother of Jacob. If he's the brother of Jacob, we can be nice to him. Okay. Um, after they send the presents, in the meanwhile, um, at first... Jacob splits the camp. So the verse says, so if Esau attacks one camp, the other camp can escape. He then is delivering stuff from one side of the river to the other side of the river. And he goes back for small jars. He left some small jars behind. He went back alone. He goes back alone. He meets the angel of Esau, or he meets the 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 Satan, or the angel of death. It's uh, all, all one, all the same. He meets his angel and they fight. Now, I can't exactly explain how a person can fight with an angel. I imagine it's not a regular fist fight or a wrestling fight, even though the verse makes it sound like it's a wrestling fight. But again, it's Jacob and an angel. So Jacob and the angel wrestle. It would make more sense to say that the angel's goal was to defeat Jacob by getting him to sin however, whatever, with his mind, with his thought, rebel against God, whatever this angel was trying, they fought throughout the night, and the angel could not beat Jacob. And almost because he's losing, it says he uh, he was able to um, dislocate, uh, seems like the sciatic nerve, and it says, and therefore the Jewish people do not eat um, the sciatic nerve from the back of a cow or a sheep or a goat. So that whole back end of the animal we don't uh, eat. I mean, you could cut around it, but for the most part, it's not worth the, um, the effort. But, but he, he, good, he, he was able to, to affect him with a sciatic nerve. And the commentaries say the sciatic nerve is really in reference to children. So the angel says, you, Jacob, I can't beat, but I'm going to come back for your children. And, of course, he does. Jacob, now that Jacob has beaten the angel, so um, he's no longer afraid of Esau, and he has his whole family now. So there's no more two camps anymore. The um, the whole the whole family is now going to meet Esau. 
Um, Jacob at first just want to let the angel go. The angel says, I got to go. I got to praise God. And Jacob says, really? Like, what are you, uh, a robber, a thief? You, when it gets light outside, you're a vampire. He doesn't say vampire. But the same concept, right? You're a vampire. You're going to melt if the sun comes out. So, um, so the angel says, I have to sing praise to God. That's a story for a different day. And Jacob says, bless me. And the angel says, I'll do it later. And Jacob says, do it now. And he, he tells him that he agrees that the blessings belong to Jacob. And he tells him that, uh, that he's going to have another name. His name will also be Yisrael. It was not just Jacob, but now Israel. <clears throat> okay. So the next morning, <clears throat> hmm. I said, drink a drop of water. And now I lose my voice. And that is not what the drink of water is supposed to do. Anyways. So they see um, Asa with his army coming. Jacob sets up the children. He puts the maidservants first for their children to bow down, then Leah's children and Leah to bow down, then Rachel and Joseph. But Joseph actually stands in front of his mother to sort of protect her from Asa. Then Jacob bows down, it says, seven times. Asa now hugs Jacob. The commentaries say, even though normally... Jacob wants, Esau wants nothing to do with Jacob, and Esau even hates um, Jacob at this time. This time his mercy was aroused. <clears throat> this time he actually loved Jacob. And they have a whole conversation. And Esau says, I have, I have more than I need. Jacob says, I have exactly what I need. Keep the present. And Esau offers to stay behind, leave some soldiers behind. Jacob says, come on, you know, I have little children and I, and I have the flocks. I can't go fast. I'll, I'll meet you later. I'll catch up with you. And, and that becomes the entire confrontation. You know, this is fascinating that at first Esau was ready to full, full, Steam ahead, he's ready to just wipe out Jacob. And between the presence and Jacob fighting with an angel and all the bowing down, so now all of a sudden, Esau is in a better mood and he no longer wants to destroy Jacob, at least at this time. And then Jacob goes on his way. So first things first, let's now go through the story. So Jacob sends a message. Now, the rabbis comment, there's something called let sleeping dogs lie. In other words, last time you packed out on your brother, he was fuming. He wanted to kill you. What are you out of your mind? Why are you sending a message? Hey, bro, I'm back in town. Hey, want to get together for a cup of coffee? Maybe have a latte? I don't know. Must have Starbucks by now in Israel. Let's get together. Like, hello. He wanted to kill you last time. Maybe just, you know, go by. Don't uh, ruffle any feathers. Uh, see what happens. Jacob obviously felt that, no, I, I don't have to hide from him. I'm doing what God wanted. God told me I'm going to come back. And God's going to protect me. If God says he's going to protect me, wh why am I pretending? What do I have to worry about Asa for? Another point, perhaps, which may be the answer to this question, is very, very fascinating. Um, the rabbis, really the time of the Talmud, 
the end of the Mishnah, beginning of the Talmud. So we're talking, uh, you know, uh, 1,800 years ago, 1,700 years ago, 1,600 years ago. Whenever the rabbis would meet with the Romans, right, when the Romans were in power, generally speaking, Ace of is Rome. Um, before they met with the before the rabbis would meet with the Romans, they would always learn this Torah portion. This Torah portion would be would clarify, would tell them how we deal with Asaph. And there's three things we have: we pray to God, we send presents, we always make sure that there's an escape plan. There's two camps, and then we're ready to deal with Asaph. We don't want to hang out with Asaph. We try to send him on his way. Um, if he wants to come along, we tell him we'll meet up with him later. We do bribes. This is how you deal with Ace. That was interesting, the idea of bribes. There's a famous story. Um, when the Mir Yeshiva during World War II was in Shanghai, right, when they escaped from uh, Poland traveled through Russia, ended up getting to Japan, were sent over to Shanghai. So it was a war, right? So there were there's rules of war. There's curfew, there's other rules. So one time one of the boys was out and was caught, and he bribed the police officer. The police officer was incensed and threw him in jail for the bribery. So when the rabbis came the next day to pick up their student, so the student says, I don't understand. It says... Jacob sent bribes to Esav. Why didn't it work for me? He says, no, no. These are the Japanese. They do not come from Esav. They have different rules and regulations. The rules of how to deal with Esav have nothing to do with other nations. Uh, very fascinating, interesting point. Um, so the real question that I always wonder is, was Jacob afraid to fight? This almost becomes like a Zionistic question. It was Jacob afraid to fight. Should he have planned on going to war or should he have planned to pacify? You know, there's a, um, I saw an interesting, um, I think I wrote it down over here. Um, I think this is from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. So the question is, that uh, the verse says that Jacob didn't want to be killed, didn't want to kill others. It says he was afraid, he was distressed, lest he be killed or lest he be forced to kill. And the same thing we had, we also talked about in the last show about uh, Shimon and Levi going to war and wiping out the city of Shrem to get their sister back. So, um, so there's a very interesting question Right, when, like when you're stuck, right? When, when, when no matter what you do, you're not going to win, right? Sometimes there's no right answer, right? No matter what you do, you're going to compromise on your moral principle. So there's someone, I think that was is, is Schmuckler, I think that's the name, Right, he's his language. It's a little poetic language, but he calls powers like a contaminant. It's a disease, which once introduced, will gradually, but inexorably, become the universal in the system of competing societies. In other words, if you have the pacifist, 
and you have the warmonger, if you want to call it, right? So eventually, the only way the pacifist can protect himself is by fighting. But the problem is, once he fights, so now he's a fighter, he's not a pacifist anymore. So, so what do you do? You become contaminated or you die, right? In other words, at the end of the day, everybody loses, right? It's almost like the Torah is trying to point out to you that even though the true path, the best way of acting is to be a pacifist, is not to fight, but at the end of the day, sometimes you're going to have to fight anyways, which is why it's fascinating in the, in the Torah portion where it talks about going to war. So God says, we find with Pinchas, right? Pinchas went and he, and he, and he killed Zimri because there's a play going on because Zimri has sinned. And Pinchas knows the only way to stop the plague is by killing, stop God's anger, is to kill Zimri. But now that I killed Zimri, now I'm not a peaceful person anymore. Now I'm a murderer. So God gives Pinchas the blessing of peace. He says the same idea when the Jewish people got to war, that God blesses them, there'll be peace. In other words, you go ahead and you have to go to war, so now you're a fighter. So now you've, you've automatically, intrinsically changed who and what you are. And when you change who and what you are, you're a different person. So God has to give a blessing. There are times when you got to fight. There are times when you have to kill. But it changes who you are. You need God's help to that it should not affect who and what you are. So it would make the most sense to say Jacob for sure does not want to fight. But if he's going to have to fight, he'll fight. But he's going to do everything in his power to not fight. He's going to pray. He's going to send a humongous bribe. He's going to have two camps. Till he fights with the angel and he sees that he'll be victorious so he doesn't have to worry but he doesn't want to fight. It doesn't mean he's afraid to fight. Jacob is a very, very strong person. We saw in last week's Torah portion when he meets Rachel for the first time, there's that big stone over the well that takes a whole bunch of shepherds to roll off. And when Jacob sees Rachel, he goes and he picks up that stone by himself. He's a massively strong person. Right? He, he's not afraid. But he knows that fighting will make him a different kind of person. Killing will make him a different kind of person, and that's what Jacob is afraid of. He's not afraid of the actual killing. He's not afraid of fighting with his brother or fighting with his brother's soldiers. He's afraid of becoming a different person. So that's the whole idea. I'm stronger than you. I can fight with you, but I would rather bow down. I would rather um, subjugate myself to you so that internally I don't become a different person. Therefore, he's, therefore, Jacob sends the presence. Therefore, he has him and his children bowing down. Anything to not actually fight. Now, Asa wants to hang out with us. <laughs> Again, we don't want Asa to hang out. We don't want that kind of uh, personality, that uh, gangster being with us. So send him along. Um... What happens is, and this is, again, this is something historical, that Esau has always dealt with the Jewish people two ways. Sometimes he's fighting, sometimes he's trying to be our friend, but in all cases he's not 
the kind of person that we really, really want to be hanging out with. You know, it's um, I saw just a, a similar story. I don't know if we're going to get through the whole story. But uh, so the story is told of two brothers. One's Mike, one's Steve. And Mike is a black belt in karate. He's not afraid of anybody. Anybody who comes his way, a few quick chops, and the guy is on the floor. And they're in a new neighborhood. And they see, you know, Mike sees one of these, you know, bully kids. And he doesn't want to fight with him. He doesn't want to start up with him. He doesn't. He, he doesn't want to be a fighter, but this guy's a bully. And you know, they're going into the park, and and he and the bullies stand there. It costs a dollar to get into the park, so Mike goes into his pocket and he pulls out a dollar and gives it to him. And Steve says, "Oh come on, just show him who you are that he can't set up with you." And Mike says, "I don't want to be the fighter." Ah. Uh. We'll have to figure out the story another time. The music is playing. And as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sons and listeners. You know, I can't do without you. Thank you, wonderful production team. We have David in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.